This is Buy-In, a valuation podcast from Horn Healthcare. Will telehealth expansion face some unforeseen barriers post-pandemic? How will telehealth alter the dynamics of physician practices going forward? Welcome to part two of our interview with Nadia De La Husi, a healthcare attorney with Jones Walker LLP in Lafayette, Louisiana. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to that episode. We'll pick up right where we left off. I think your your comment about thinking through long-term objectives, it, it's, it's always important. Um, and obviously standing up a telehealth platform is, is a huge decision and, and in a lot of ways could be, um, you know, financially daunting. You know, you mentioned the costs of, of some of those things. Um, and particularly during this time when many practices are, you know, find themselves in financial distress, that could be even more daunting. Um, and, you know, some practices may have to seek out financial investors and, uh, and, and, and that brings in, you know, questions about, you know, what does that mean for, you know, private equity and, you know, um, uh, you know, big insurance companies getting into the, which we already know pre-COVID were, were, were making intros into the market. And, you know, that's obviously uh, causes friction with some of our hospital clients. Um, so I guess my next question that kind of dovetails with that is if I, if I own a physician practice right now, what advice would you give me today regarding telehealth? Should it, if there's something I haven't already done, what would you advise me doing um, to be prepared? I, I'll tell you that I'm a pretty conservative thinker and I, I'm a very creative thinker, but at the same time, I, I don't believe in, um, I believe in conservative growth. And I don't believe in just reacting to a situation and spending a whole lot of money, um, you know, just investing in something overnight to solve an immediate situation. Um, certainly with COVID, we've had to, to make concessions because we, you know, certain practices were literally shut. For example, example dermatologists right. they treat patients and people have melanoma. They need to, they need to, they need to have, you know, or there, there are certain other medical conditions that require that they have access to their dermatologist. So we had to integrate some telehealth, um, temporary telehealth platforms that would work and that were um, sophisticated enough to be able to allow proper treatment. Uh, Long-term though, I would think that before I would advise a client, and and I have a number of providers that I'm currently working with, I really want to, to look at their business goals. There's not one size fits all. You really have to look at the practice area, the practice setting, if they're in a hospital system, if they're, you know, if not, if, if they're looking at private payer, um, because there's a lot of concierge medicine, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are not taking your traditional um, Medicaid, Medicare, even reimbursement, you know, they, they're, they're having their, they're, they're charging, you know, $25, $50 for a telehealth consult, and then the patient can file for the insurance with his or her insurance. But I think that what I would do is I would want to know more about what that that physician or that practice's long-term objective is, whether they're just simply integrating telehealth into an existing practice. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I, I believe that most doctors are going to have to offer 
some remote um, follow-up care, um, whether it's just a, you know, I, I believe that the consumer and the patient's going to demand it because we've already been, <laughs> we've had the luxury during COVID of not having to leave the home to get medicine. Right, right. So, you know, if, if I, if I have an oncologist, for example, an oncologist and I need to simply um, discuss blood work or side effects from chemo, I'm not going to necessarily want to go back into, you know, especially if I'm suffering from cancer, I'm not going to want to go into the hospital system setting to go meet with my doctor. Um, and that's a perfect example of a, a virtual visit. And I, I was a little surprised when, um, when audio only was, was permitted for reimbursement purposes under CMS. I don't know that I believe that that will necessarily stay. I suspect with the advancements in Zoom and, you know, even, you know, a lot of our, you know, FaceTime, et cetera, um, and the security measures that those platforms are taking to make them HIPAA compliant, I believe that it's going to be that even elderly people know how to now use their, right. their iPhones. So it's, uh, it's amazing how, how quickly people learn when they have to. Uh, um, exactly. So, so I think with what you're going to see is all providers providing some type of virtual um, encounters. Mm-hmm. And that, that could just be follow-up calls and they, they, but you have to ask them, okay, how do you want to, how, what percentage of your patients do you want to just integrate this? If so, we have to look at, we have to look at workflow. We have to look at, you know, you have to look at a platform that is going to allow you to schedule. Um, and, and maybe it's setting aside an afternoon um, time frame. you know, three to four, four or five 30 in the afternoon, where you follow up with patients remotely and give them results, et cetera. Um, and you see the remainder of your patients in person, or maybe you want to be a little bit more aggressive and do more tele- telehealth. Uh, if you are a family practitioner, that may be more conducive. If you are um, a, a specialist that really needs to put your hand on that patient and monitor something in person, then it may not be. Uh, it just depends on your area of specialty and whether you work in a hospital setting or outside, because that, of course, will affect your budget. So I look at the long and the, the short-term and the long-term goals. I, I, if you're looking at going outside of the current state that you're currently um, licensed in, you're going to have to have conservative growth unless we mm-hmm. have some miraculous change in the state licensure barriers. Uh, because it just it's too expensive and it takes too long to get licensed and for a physician to get licensed in every state. I mean, it's that's that alone is and it, and certainly my ex who's a, with the national with the virtual radiology he's licensed in all states, but that it, it's over a hundred thousand dollars a year just to maintain those licenses. Wow! Wow! So the cost involved is tremendous. Um, unless we have some significant changes at the state licensure level it's not really doable for most doctors to go beyond one or two states. Right. And so you look at, let's say they want to go, they want to team up with other doctors. And I, I've been working with a number for a number of specialists, cardiovascular thoracic surgeons um, that are not wanting to work in a hospital system and their services are tremendously valuable and they're doing a lot of um, in in care, you know, treatment as well as remote monitoring of patients post post um, admit 
I mean, a post-discharge. So in those kind of situations, we're dealing with doctors that have come together from various states and they've you know, created a, a, some kind of a med- medical um, alliance. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, very, they're, they're being very successful at, at what they're doing because those specialties are in high demand. And then they're, they're leasing themselves out to these hospitals. So what I'm hearing you say is it really, it really depends on the facts and circumstances. You, know, yes. you, 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 you incorporate or you use telehealth in a way that best fits your practice and, and your patient base. Yeah. Um, and, and it's got to make sense. Uh, and and, and I, I couldn't agree uh, more about, you know, taking a conservative approach and that, you know, it can't be some kind of knee jerk reaction that, you know, Hey, I got to get on the bandwagon. I've got to invest all this money into uh, propping up a telehealth platform because if I don't, somehow I'm going to get left behind. It's a much more measured and um, well thought through. It's, it's part of a, a well, well thought through plan and process. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense to me. I, and I understand that. Um, so I would add, Reddy, uh, right, that you had mentioned about private equity. There's a tremendous amount of money that's going into healthcare right now, particularly mm-hmm. digital platforms. Yes. And I'm in, currently representing a number of those, you know, those entities. And um, and and it's 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 a very complicated area because if it's if it's a 50-state um, venture, you have corporate practice medicine prohibitions that have to be considered valuation, um, you know, every, you have to really look at it from a state by state, uh, from a state by state perspective, and you, you really need to make sure that you're compliant. So, but there is a tremendous amount of, you know, people are scared. They don't know what the stock market's going to do. Right. And I think that um, a lot of people are looking and, and putting a lot of money and hoping that, look, you know, with some of the public offerings and the you know potential the, the potential upside is is huge even if you just if you invest in one so, so a lot of these venture capital groups are even investing in some of their competitors but they're, wow. they're putting yeah. a lot of money in and you know we're making sure that they do it in a compliant way because as you know um certain states particularly new york california um have very stringent um, corporate practice and medicine right. that do not allow non-physicians to have any ownership in a physician practice or to profit from that right. practice. We'll take a quick break. Stay tuned for more with Nadia De La Husi. Buy-in is brought to you by Horn Healthcare. For over 60 years and with more than 70 dedicated accounting and advisory professionals, Horn Healthcare is a decidedly different firm. Find us online at hornllp.com. And we're back to our conversation with Nadia. Well, along that line, you know, and, and we're seeing that a lot, you know, in our practice, um, you know, private equity, uh, insurance now uh, more than, than previously. And, and, and we know private equity is sitting on a lot of money right now. Yes. Uh, and, they're, and they're poised. And I, I really see, you know, the pandemic has really created more opportunity for them uh, in, the, in the most basic form just by, by virtue of many many entities being in financial distress and looking for financial investment, looking for a financial partner. Um, 
and I could see this possibly marginalizing hospitals in the process. Do you see that? Uh, it's kind of a, I guess, a secondary issue, um, but it could involve, you know, telehealth could be the driver of that in the sense that, you know, as they look to uh, stand up a, a, a telehealth platform, hey, I need investors to do that. And I know for a fact there's private equity because I've talked to them, private equity and insurance companies who are looking for that as their entree into, um, you know, into the, the, the physician practice market. Um, how do you see that impacting our, our local hospitals? I'm torn because I'm from Southwest Louisiana and I believe in, I believe that it's critical that we keep these rural hospitals open. Right. Yeah. And we, we have to figure out a way because if we are going to be caring for patients in the home setting, we have to have a hospital that those patients can go to in an emergency. Right. right. Parents live in a small town in Crowley, you know, and, and they have what was a, a relatively, you know, full service hospital that is now being managed by a larger hospital system. Right. And it's turning into more of an emergency room, a very large emergency room which is fine. And they're integrating telehealth, which is wonderful. So I'm, I'm pleased, but we have to keep these, these rural hospitals open. So, you know, there, there is a huge need for hospital systems to come together. We have too much bricks and mortar currently. Um, and, you know, I've, I've looked at the Mercy Virtual Hospital that I always refer to it as the Bedless Hospital, and it's been in existence for many years as, as sort of the future. And I've always been amazed at the amount of money that hospitals have spent on, on bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, it just seemed to go against everything that I envisioned in terms of the future of healthcare and how healthcare delivery was going to be, right. you know, in, in 10 years. And certainly with fee for service, I mean, um, yeah, um, you know, with the changes and not no longer fee for service, right. but rather, um, you know, the, the whole, you know, incentivism for good outcomes and, and basically um, penalization for, for bad, you know, readmissions. Um, you really want to keep your, your patients out of the hospital. You make more money keeping them out of the hospital than in right. the hospital. Right. So hospitals are having to rethink their, their business plans. And you have some hospitals who are doing a fantastic job and they are dominating the market. And they're managing many of the smaller hospitals that, that you know, that didn't adapt timely and, and got themselves, you know, um, in situations where they really couldn't manage and, and make money. So some of these failed hospitals are now being taken over by larger hospital systems. And, 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 they're, and fortunately, those larger hospital systems are managing and, and reaching out and keeping those rural um, hospitals open a lot of them are scaling them down um, to more of, um, you know, a, an emergency type setting. They're no longer doing labor and delivery, for example. They're not, they're not offering a, a full, um, you know, it's not a full course hospital. It's, right. it's, it's focused, but at least you have a hospital in that community because, you know, I've seen the death of a community, community, um, a rural hospital really leading to the death of the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it's really, you know, and, and President Trump's recent executive order really highlights that and focuses on rural hospitals and the rural, the need to focus on rural America. 
mm-hmm. and, and care being rendered in those areas. And I, I do want to make a point because you, you mentioned it at the beginning of the broadcast about this being an election year. I, I think it's really important that everybody realize that the bipartisan um, position towards telehealth has, has been pretty consistent. I mean, this isn't really a political issue so much as it is just a necessity that both sides, you know, Democrats and Republicans recognize need to happen. Um, and, and so I, I, I think that um, I, I, that's, one of, that's one of the pluses. We're not really fighting among, you know, it, it is one of the- One, one of the very few. <laughs> that I think we can all- um, Maybe the only one. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And then, you know, so that's a good thing because I, I've been impressed with COVID on how, you know, everybody seems to be on board, you know, um, with the, the immediate uh, overnight change that CMS took um, in the midst of, you know, in the, at the very onset of COVID in terms of the waivers and in, 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 in quickly providing codes for reimbursement and continuing on and also expanding and providing grants for, um, for better infrastructure. I mean, you have to have the bandwidth to be able to integrate telehealth. In the certain rural communities, you just lack that, um, the infrastructure to do so. Right, so uh, it seems like a huge barrier. It is a huge barrier. And to, to give the amount of money that Congress has given um, to really focus on the, that, the, inf, the, 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 the necessary infrastructure just to provide good quality telehealth is, um, is gonna benefit all of us in the future. And that's what makes me believe that we're gonna see permanent changes from the federal le- at the federal level, um, particularly with respect to CMS, care for the elderly, um, recognition of the home site, the home setting as an originating site, which is gonna keep you know, elderly from having to go to a doctor's office or a hospital setting to be treated for reimbursement purposes. Right. Um, it, and, it, and I don't think it will just be rural. I believe it's going to be all elderly. I mean, whether you live in a city or in rural America, you need to have, you should have access to care in your home. Right, right. Well, you know, it is, it is interesting. Uh, sometimes it takes a crisis to bring about very positive change. And I think, you know, what we're seeing here, this is one element that I've seen come out of, of the pandemic. And, and there are certainly other examples, but this is, a, from a healthcare perspective, one of the big ones. Uh, you, know, you mentioned CMS, and we're kind of running out of time. And, you know, what they've done and the action steps they've taken, you know, very early on in the pandemic in, um, in a number of ways, waivers being one of those. But uh, as we, as I'm sure you're aware, well aware, the, the 2021 proposed physician fee schedule uh, came out a couple of weeks ago and telehealth uh, expansion featured prominently in the proposed rule. Just real quick, what, what's your take on what you saw in the proposed rule as it relates to telehealth? And, you know, did, was that, did that look positive overall to you for the future or were you, were surprised? Uh, what, what's your take on that? Well, first of all, I want to emphasize that these are proposed rules. Right, right. And there's going to be a lot of feedback and data encouraging some of these, these, these what I'm about to tell you, these, these proposed regs to change, perhaps, or these fee rules change. Sure. 
Um, but I have to tell you, that was a, I was a little disappointed. Um, really? And I'm just being very honest about that's my personal view. Uh, CMS essentially grouped the health telehealth services into three lists. They had nine codes that they 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 stated would become permanent. But then they have the second group, which is the 74 codes that will be removed once the pandemic is you know is over. And uh, that's you know, that's that's concerning. Um, a lot of that included occupational um, therapy, tele, you know, the, the physical therapy, speech, a lot, a lot of things that were being done in the home that I thought were very beneficial. Um, so I was a little surprised to see that, that, and that 74 codes would be removed um, once the public health emergency expires. And then they have a second group, which is um, an additional 13 codes that they added to the list, but only for a temporary basis. And those codes, once the public health um, emergency expires, let's say it expires in March, it keeps getting pushed back. Let's say it's, I'm just making this up, but let's say it's April, March, April of 2021, then these rules will, these codes will be in effect through the remainder of that year. So through December of 2021. So you can still get reimbursed and continue providing care um, under those codes through the remainder of that year. Uh, so, I, I, certainly, I believe that um, these are these are reimbursement codes, and this you know it deals with one you know what what services are covered, and also what providers can provide those services. Well, so, I guess you know, like you mentioned, it's a it's a proposed rule. Yes. Um, you know, as we know, these things can can sometimes change a lot, and I'm sure there will be a lot of input. Maybe you yourself will be uh, providing some some input to CMS on that, and uh, see it, see where see where that lands. The American Telemedicine Association, that you know, 27 years ago was founded, um, is heavily involved. There, there's so many advocacy groups. We're all chiming in. We're all providing data. I suspect that, that they're going, I, I, I have no doubt that, that we will never go back to pre-COVID days, that reimbursement will always be better post-COVID than pre-COVID, that you know, the regulatory climate will change for the better um, to the extent I'm not sure, you know, and, and whether it will be at the state or at the federal government when it comes to licensure, I don't know. I, I, you know, there's a lot of debate over that in whether or not the federal government has jurisdiction over state licensure issues. Mm -hmm. But that said, I, I certainly feel that it's not the proposed rate fee is phrased in a way that it is positive, that this is a good thing. And I want to believe that it will be a good thing. I just hope that we continue recognizing the need to provide um, physical therapy, occupational therapy and particularly you know to the elderly in a home setting because there's no reason not to right so so yes i i suspect that they will make some concessions and that um these proposed rules will be modified with it before any of it becomes permanent well certainly certainly more to come there and it's um you know we're early days and it's an evolving process we've certainly seen a, a lot change uh in a short period of time and 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 i have no doubt we'll we'll see more on this front um Nadi, this has been a tremendous conversation. I, I have I've taken a, a several pages of notes while while we were were in this conversation. I learned a lot. 
Um, but believe it or not, we're out of time today. Again, I appreciate it so much. Um, you taking the time to, to talk to us today. Well, thank you, Rudd. I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation as well. And um, I hope that maybe after we have a little bit more guidance out there, we can maybe revisit and, and see where things are going again. I, I would love to have an update because uh, I know there's going to be a lot, lot coming down the, the, the pike on this. And, um, you know, it's going to evolve. And like, like we've said, this is it's transformational in a lot of ways. Um, and I know that you're at the forefront of that. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would welcome that opportunity. Uh, and, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. This is Rudd Blumentritt from Horn. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Buy-In, a podcast from Horn Healthcare. Buy-In is produced by Horn LLP. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For more about Horn, visit hornllp.com.